Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. One of the most heart-rending statements ever made in any genre of literature is recorded for us in two different places in God's Word. It is found in Psalm 22 and verse 1, and it is found in the setting in which its ultimate truth was seen. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, as Jesus hung on the cross, we find the following. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What was occurring at the time was beyond my limited ability to understand in its entirety. But I do know that Jesus had suffered many things before that time because of having been forsaken by so many. So frequently in life, it is the mental strain and anguish that causes much more suffering than does the physical abuse or punishment, whatever it might be. It is hard to suffer the desertion of a friend. Some men and women have been driven almost to the point of breaking when their spouses abandon them. I have known of those who have locked themselves in their rooms for days, refusing to come out when such has taken place. The agony of the cross probably would have been somewhat easier to bear had it not been for the fact that the Lord's dearest friends had forsaken him. It is important for us to remember that the cross was not the only time that Jesus was forsaken. And you might ask, well, why is that important? because all of us are going to be forsaken at some time in our lives as well. It may be a friend, it may be a spouse, or it may be a brother or sister in Christ. But if you live long enough, it will happen. I'm reminded of the Lord's statement in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they have called the house, the head of the house, Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? It happened to Jesus. It would be foolish indeed to think that it will not or cannot happen to us. Consider with me a few other occasions when Jesus was forsaken and the events that surrounded those occasions. My friends, did you ever stop to give serious consideration to the fact that Jesus was forsaken by his neighbors, forsaken by those among whom he had grown up? Jesus was raised in Nazareth. It was his hometown. Wouldn't you think that when he came back there during his earthly ministry that they would have welcomed him with open arms? But that is not what happened. His town people, his boyhood friends, turned on him. 
It was about the time that he was growing up in Nazareth that the statement was found in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. His neighbors and friends knew that Jesus was a hometown boy, so to speak, a carpenter and the son of a carpenter. When Jesus began his ministry, he spent the majority of his time in Galilee. In visiting the various cities and towns and villages, it was just natural that he would visit Nazareth. But when Jesus taught in their synagogue, a place that he would have known so well and they would have known him, the reaction was not what we would normally have expected. Looking at Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 21, we find the following. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now the prophecy that Jesus had read was from the book of Isaiah and it very clearly foretold the work of the Messiah. Their initial reaction is found in verse 22. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, and they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? However, as Jesus continued to preach and explain his mission in the world, and that he was the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy, their attitude changed. Looking at verses 28 through 30, we find, And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. The hometown boy, so to speak, was forsaken by his hometown. We can expand that a little bit and see that Jesus was for all intents and purposes forsaken by his people, the Jews. For hundreds of years, the Jewish people had looked forward with great anticipation for the advent of the Messiah. They expected the Messiah would deliver them from their Roman rule and restore the kingdom to Israel with all the glory and the power of the time of King David and Solomon. But Jesus didn't fit the mold that they had for him. After all, in John 18 and verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. The spiritual nature of his kingdom was paramount in his teaching. His kingdom was not going to be a political kingdom established and maintained by military might. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. 
But the Jewish folks of our Lord's day were not willing for the most part to accept that. They still are not today. There is a statement made in John chapter 1 and verse 11 that can be limited to the Jews or be more inclusive, and either way it is so sad. John wrote, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. That could be referring to the Jews, or it could be referring to both Jew and Gentile, for they all were created by the Lord, and the vast majority of all folks have rejected him. Getting back to the Jews, it was the very leaders of the people who paid 30 pieces of silver as enticement to Judas to betray him. Those same leaders brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate and demanded that he be put to death. When Pilate asked why, what evil has he done? A number of the Jews, at the urging of their leaders, cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Matthew chapter 27 and verse 25 records a chilling statement that they made when they said, His blood be on us and on our children. I cannot help but find my mind drifting back to a time when Jesus wept over the failure of his people to accept him. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, we find Jesus saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. The Jewish people thought that they were upholding the integrity of their religion, but the sad truth is they had forsaken him. There were many people who followed Jesus while he was on this earth. For the small area that he covered in terms of distance in his lifetime, Jesus had a number of disciples. Many of them forsook him. At a time when Jesus was explaining his purpose and his mission in the world, and quite frankly giving indication of how difficult and all-consuming it would be to follow him, many of his disciples said, No. Looking at John chapter 6, verses 60 through 66, we find many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him any more. Just move down to the next three verses, because when that happened, we find, Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Later, when Jesus told them that he was going to be arrested and put to death, they promised to stand by him, even if it meant that they themselves would have to die. But when they saw Jesus and arrested and taken away, it was too much for them. Mark 14 and verse 50 tells us, And they all left him and fled.
Imagine that. In the hour of his deepest need for faithful friends, they all failed him. Not a one stood by him in spite of all their promises. Oh, it is so hard to have those whom you believe truly in, being your friends, turn their back on you and turn against you. When I was a kid, there was a sign on the locker room that most athletes would be familiar with. It said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, the apostles saw how tough it was going to be, and they got going, only in the wrong direction. They forsook the Lord. Jesus was even forsaken by the legal system. Looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, we find, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Even though that is the way it is supposed to work, it doesn't always work out that way. Jesus was put on trial by the Jews, but in doing so they violated their own law, the law of Moses, many times in the trial they conducted that terrible night. Then they handed him over to Pilate. That Roman governor said in Luke chapter 23, verses 14 and 15, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion, and behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. In other words, the legal authorities knew Jesus was completely innocent. However, the clamor of the Jews and Pilate's desire to placate them overrode what they knew to be right. Once again, politics trumped justice as it often does. Isaiah wrote about that very miscarriage of justice in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 6 through 8 in the prophecy of the suffering Messiah. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Like a lamb, the Lamb of God suffered this terrible miscarriage of justice. And then, on the cross, Jesus quoted Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken by the Father. We know that God can turn and does turn from sin. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 makes that clear. We know that there is no fellowship between God and the unfruitful works of darkness. That is 2 Corinthians 6, 14-16. 
Now, while I cannot be absolutely dogmatic about this, I believe that Jesus was bearing the weight of all the sins of the world combined in one incomprehensibly horrific mass, and that for a time the Father turned from him. Jesus bore that terrible weight alone. His anguish was real and beyond my limited ability to fully understand and appreciate, but I do know he was there in my stead. When Jesus was arrested, Peter tried to protect him with the sword, but Jesus told him in Matthew 26, verses 52 and 53, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Jesus knew that the eternal purpose of God required him to die on that cross if our sins were to be forgiven. He prayed just before his arrest in the garden, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus knew what was ahead, but he also knew the necessity of his death if sinful man was going to be given the opportunity to be saved. So he did it. He suffered and he died there. His enemies at the time thought that his death surely proved that he was a fraud. But it was just the opposite. It confirmed that he was the Son of God, the Christ. If God had not forsaken him for a time on that cross, how could he have died? It is something too wonderful, too deep for me to understand or explain. But I do know that three days hence he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Today, Jesus continues to be forsaken by those who perhaps in their minds are saying something similar to the, this is a hard saying, who can bear it? He is forsaken by those who at some point come to him in obedience, declaring themselves to be his friends, only to turn back to their own sinful ways. My friends, let us be certain that we conduct ourselves in such a way that it might never be said of us, they forsook him and fled. You know, my friends, you cannot forsake one whom you have not embraced to begin with. If you're not a Christian, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because he is. And allow that belief to become saving Bible faith, and that involves obedience. Repent of your sins. As Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. Confess your faith in Jesus as the Lord, the Son of God, and be immersed in water for the remission of your sins so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what you need to do to be a member of the body of Christ. Certainly words to consider. Thanks for listening.